If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. In this episode, I have a conversation with Todd Wycheck. His business in Minneapolis is called Fundamental Strength. He is a functional movement specialist as well as a strength and conditioning coach. I met him through a group he formed here in Minneapolis called the Twin Cities Movement, Rehab, and Performance Group, which is Todd's effort to connect trainers, physical therapists, chiropractors, body workers, and other movement-based health professionals to share their expertise and knowledge with one another and to build a community of collaborators who are interested in a more integrative approach for people in their care. Todd has worked around the country as a college coach and has spent some time at the Olympic Training Center. He has also worked in mental health and substance abuse while he was coaching, which clearly has informed his work with individuals seeking to feel better in their bodies, whether they're athletes or new grandparents looking to improve their strength and mobility to get up and down off the floor to play with their newest family members. It is his purposeful methodology that I think deserves time here. Having a background in functional movement myself, I hope that this conversation might be a resource to those of you looking for ways to improve your body's overall function and conditioning. Here is my conversation with Todd Wycheck. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Been, I've been wanting to have this conversation with you for a while. We we used to run into each other, dropping our daughters off for preschool together. <laughs> yep, nine a.m. Had no idea that we were both uh, in the same field mm-hmm. until uh, one of our colleagues referred you to me to to send me a a patient or something. Yeah, I, I found you through her her clinic and happened to look on there, and there was your name. And I thought, I know that guy. Didn't know what you did, but yeah, I'm gonna touch base. Nice, it's been good. And so, how do you? I, one of the things that I struggle with at this point in, in my career, having these, you know, different things that I'm working with between body work, between movement work, I don't fit into the physical therapy realm. I don't really call myself a trainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of, how do you how do you define yourself at this point? Man, that is such a good question. I I struggle with the same thing. The the Every term you come up with, every name you come up with elicits a, a, a stereotype. So uh, I really cringe when I hear that term personal trainer, which I guess technically is what I am. But right. I, I was a strength coach. I'm a, a strength coach um, by trade or by background, but I train private clients now. Does that make me a strength coach? I don't know. I, I'm the guy who helps you move better and get stronger, get more fit build resiliency. So um, I guess I generally refer to myself as a strength coach and private trainer, um, movement specialist sometimes, but it doesn't really mean anything. It just, or it doesn't carry any, um, any weight. It's just uh, something to help people understand what it is that I do, but it's so varied out there. So, yeah. So did you, so did your, um, your getting involved in the, in the field of, of, 
we'll, we'll call it sports sports enhancement training uh, that that kind of work. Did that start in sports? Did did you did you play sports? To start yeah. With? So I was a, a, a I mean I played multiple sports all the way through high school. I was a collegiate track athlete and I competed through college. And then a little bit post collegiately, and you know, what was your sport? Uh, I was a track athlete, so I was actually a thrower. I threw the discus, uh, shot put, hammer throw. So was not a pole vaulter or anything cool like that. So, <laughs> um, but you know, uh, coached for. I was a college coach for fourteen years, uh, different places across the country. Uh, moved around a bit, did a ton of continuing ed and uh, coaching education, which is really helpful. Um, learned a lot. Have spent time at the Olympic Training Center. Have worked with some top level coaches across the country. Have some top level coaches across the country uh, that are good friends of mine. Um, but over time. Started working with private clients and as time went on, just really found a lot more interest in working with general population clients and mm -hmm. found a lot of um, uh, just pleasure in working with that group and, and uh, kind of meaning more to them to be able to move well, to pick up their kids, grandkids, uh, do the things they used to do. So yeah. just really enjoy that a lot more. So, so yeah, I was a coach. I was, what uh, did your, what did your coaching start? Uh, actually started here in, uh, the twin cities. I was actually at, uh, university of St. Thomas, uh, where I started and ended my career, I guess. Um, coaching, I was here. Then I went out to Colorado. I was at the Colorado school of mines, which was a great engineering school, great experience out there. And then I, uh, moved back. Uh, my wife was doing residency at uh, the University of Wisconsin. She's a gastroenterologist, so she's okay. a physician. She was doing residency in her first fellowship there, so coached there um, uh, with a club program there, but worked with uh, some college athletes there. And then I moved out to Portland. We were out there for three years and worked at the University of Portland. Hmm. Came back, coached here for a couple more years, but that was when I just kind of realized – uh, I want to work more with private clients and got into the movement side of things a lot more. And it just really made sense and found out I was pretty good at it, but my sports background really set the tone for that. Yeah. Um, a good understanding, but I also had to learn a lot more to be able to work with, you know, people who weren't athletes, but, you know, had movement issues, had, you know, been sedentary or had injuries. How do I work with them as opposed to, so, Again, as yeah. we've talked about before, going down that rabbit hole and more continuing ed, learning from the best people and trying to figure things out. And, um, yeah, that's kind of how that's, I mean, there. we have such a, a similar story. I mean, I, I didn't, I, I never really did much for coaching. I've, I've gotten involved in sort of helping coach with mm -hmm. my son's stuff, but I, <clears throat> so the place that I started in Brooklyn was called Everyday Athlete. Mm -hmm. Basically kind of dealing with the fact that, to some extent, we're all involved in athletic movement at any given time during our day. And the, you know, what it, what I started realizing as I was working with either, you know, the sort of weekend warrior types or even people who were pretty involved in athletics might, might even play something, you know, two or three times a week mm -hmm. or just the person who is sitting at their desk all day long and is trying to figure out how to get out of this position that they're stuck in from yeah, <laughs> being in this absolutely. postural postural shape and but realizing that there were a lot of corollaries to like the kinds of work that they all needed to do because mm -hmm. the athletes who were having recurring injuries and the office worker were having similar you know issues in terms of um just basic functional, you know, movement issues. Yeah. And uh, that sounds like exactly what you're working with right now. Yeah. You know, people get hung up on, um, 
you know, I talk about performance, but performance might be walking up a flight of stairs or picking up your, you know, laundry basket or carrying groceries. So, um, you know, we all squat, we all hinge, we all push, pull, um, maybe not as much as we should, but you know, we all do these things or need to be able to do these things. So whether you're a high performance athlete or, you know, uh, the average person walking down the street, you still need to be able to do those things without risk of injury or without hurting yourself. So, um, the model sort of still stands no matter where you're talking about. It doesn't have to be that different, um, you know, for that general population client versus that performance athlete. Yeah. You know, we've so, got- yeah. So going, going back to the performance athletes, mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious because my, you know, starting, starting out in sports and being, uh, both a high school and college athlete, the, the kinds of training that was going on was so pathetic at the mm-hmm. time. And the like, you know, eighties, even yeah. early nineties, I I'm, I'm curious to see what you feel like is, is, is what, what's changed, you know, how, how long ago were you involved in, in college athletics? Uh, well, it's been, uh, I guess a, a year since I've been out, uh, and then 14 years before that. Plus, so it was late, 90s when I was competing in college so kind of all throughout there now even today you have people that are behind the curve in terms of what they should know even at the college level even at the highest college level um and you also have some youth coaches that are right on point with what they should be doing and so you know it's all over the board but uh yeah, I mean, education is is huge and people understanding, but we also have lost some things along the way. There's some fascinating things that, you know, we used to do and were great training back when, but we, we lost it for the new shiny object that, you know, we chased and we forgot about these great things like a jump rope, just simply jump roping, you know, yeah. things like that are just huge or Indian clubs, which used to be really, really big. And now explain not, Indian clubs for Indian anyone. clubs, um, man, uh, to describe them out loud, uh, they look like juggling clubs or mm-hmm. bowling pins almost, yeah, yeah. but, uh, they're, um, I guess sort of swung uh, around. It's hard to describe, but, uh, swung around, uh, um, just for shoulder health, thoracic, uh, back health, um, just for good movement. Range of motion. For yeah, the, yeah. So just good stuff. But, uh, you know, they've got a, uh, they've been around a long time and I, I use them with clients just for shoulder health and, and, uh, just movement in general, just good light movement. And yeah, seems seems sort of where, where the kettlebells and things kind of came from, right? Yeah. Well, it's kind of that what's old is new again, but you know, it's always been good. We just somehow lost it along the way and getting back to it. So I'm, I'm always curious because there's just having been in it this long, I see the trends. Yeah. You know, there's the, you know, from the, from the time that I started, I yeah I worked for about a year and a half maybe in gyms when mm-hmm. I just realized I couldn't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was doing body work in health clubs when I first started, so it was kind of a good place for me to. I, I had a, a woman who was the head of the training program who kind of talked me into uh, being a trainer, mm-hmm. just because she felt like my my understanding and the kinds of things that I was working with at that point um, would would really benefit. They had a much older population in this club. So I ended up doing a lot of that work and I'd actually mm. learned a ton from doing that work. But there were also the, um, the sort of, uh, the, the meathead trainers as we call sure. <laughs> who sure. were, you know, they were, they were, they were training people in their forties as if they were still training for football. Sure. And, and, and so I've, I've seen everything go from like that sort of old, you know, the, the black 
you know, mats and steel, you know, gym workout to things that have started looking like barn workouts. Yeah. And, you know, with TRX and with all these things. And I, I feel like now, I mean, and the science is, is getting, you know, better in some respects. I feel like there are some things that have really changed my mind. I'm, I'm curious, you know, now with, with your experience with, with athletes having trained in, in college sports and now working with sort of general populations, what, what, what kinds of things you feel like are are coming forward as you know seeing these kinds of patterns as being the most sort of important types of training methods yeah i think the the pendulum is always swinging but that's sort of my place right now is to try and get the pendulum to stop swinging so much and and you know uh, whether it be kettlebells or trx's i mean i have both i use both every yeah. day um, but I don't use just one. I use them as they are fit within, you know, that client's program or the need or the best exercise for that person. They're just tools. So, yeah. uh, you know, we always hear the tool analogy, you know, uh, which is the best, the hammer or the screwdriver or the wrench. Well, you don't use a screwdriver to hammer and a nail. You use a hammer when you need a hammer and a screwdriver when you need a screwdriver. So you use a kettlebell when you, you know, it seems to fit best and you use, yeah. you know, whatever the case may be when it seems best for that situation. So, um, or for whatever you're trying to train. So, you know, I think, uh, the sports world and the general population world, isn't that different. Again, we all squat, we all hinge, we all have the same, you know, two arms, two legs and a trunk and, and we move kind of the same way. Uh, the threshold is just a little higher. Um, so it kind of comes down to goals and motivations when it comes to athletes, you're kind of pushing the envelope a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, whereas, uh, and it's quicker, you know, even a four year college career is really, you know, only a matter of maybe a year when you talk about breaks and, and, uh, you know, summer breaks and, and you take out all this time and then your training season is only so long at the collegiate level. Yeah. And, you know, you don't actually have that much time with them. So it's a pretty condensed time and you're expected to get them performing at this high level. So yeah. you really need to push for that, that sort of 1% or that, you know, that every little, every little bit that you can get out of them, but that's where it becomes, you know kind of uh, a little bit tricky because you want to push them, but you also don't want to hurt them. So um, I think that's where a lot of people look first, even with youth athletics, they try and go for what's shiny and new. They try and go for these things that they see on YouTube videos that look really cool and are really explosive. And that's great. But what about just the basics? So, yeah. you know, I often say uh, good training doesn't always make good YouTube videos, you know, just because you don't see the whatever pro athlete, you know, doing soft tissue work or see them, you know, doing mobility work. They don't, they're not, no one's going to put that on a YouTube video with Metallica playing in the background. It doesn't look <laughs> cool, but you know what? They do that stuff. They all started off, you know, squatting and moving and, and running, just running, not running, you know, with something tied to them and bands and all this stuff. They just ran for fun. And, yeah. uh, so we, we kind of lose that. We think, oh, we need to rush to that, that new thing. And really it's just, it's pretty basic whether you're, you know, you or me at the gym working out or that high performance athlete, we're all going to be doing kind of the same stuff. So yeah. there's a few little things that are different, but you know, we can only do so much with our bodies. So yeah. I, I like the name of your business, it's Fundamental Strength, yep. because what you're talking about right now is exactly what <clears throat> I was sort of saying earlier when I when I'm seeing either the office worker or the athlete, there are fundamentals sort of what you're talking about that that get missed for the you know, for, for what looks really sure. you know, sh shiny and, and yeah. glamorous in terms of movement. 
Yeah, I I thought a long time about the name just because, uh, you know, everything seems to be pinnacle or, you know, elite or, you know, and it's crazy with the youth sports. We were talking about a little bit before youth sports and, you know, elite traveling teams. You're eight years old, eight years old and elite are two totally different things. There's no such thing, you know, and um, so to call uh, how many elite performance centers can there be in the world? I don't know how many of those are even (laughs) in the Twin Cities, much less around the world. And guess what? They're not elite. They're just training athletes or they're, you know, they're trying to be that way. And that's cool. But I wanted it to communicate to clients and to colleagues that, you know, I'm not trying to be that. I'm just trying to serve the person who comes in and work on things that, you know, they need to work on. And so I'm trying to stay away from that idea that, you know, I'm the greatest and the most intense and the most extreme. I mean, I always, I always use the analogy too, like, do you go into your doctor's office and say, man, my doctor's really cool. He's using the most extreme, you know, he's super extreme. We're always using different medications. And I mean, that's what exercise right. is, is it's dosage. So, um, you know, we prescribe the right dosage. We, we pick the right, you know, medication, the right exercise for you and we don't change it. You know, it's one of those things that I cringe when I hear people say, my trainer's so good. I, I never do the same workout twice. I'm like, really? <laughs> I have my people do the same workout all the time, or at least, you know, that three to six weeks that we yeah. know it takes for the body to adapt. If I'm changing it every time, I'm just entertaining right. you. And, um, you know, we adapt as someone comes in, their nervous system's fatigued, they're tired, they didn't have lunch, something's, you know, hurting them or, you know, something's bothering them. We adapt on the fly, but we still have a plan. We still know what we're doing. We still, um, deviate from that program at hand. So, yeah. um, but yeah, you know, the, the, the mentality around fitness is just so crazy of, of, um, it's just so confusing to people, you know, oh, my, my, you know, gym that I go to is constantly doing new stuff or they're, they're doing this, this one thing, you know, TRXs were huge for a while. I was working and coaching out in Portland and there were gyms that were, they were selling classes that you had to pay extra for to just use a TRX, mm-hmm. but you have all these other tools in the gym and you're paying extra to use a thing that's supposed to be used outside of the gym. Uh, most people don't know this. And back when TRX started, their original website was fitness anywhere. I think it was fitness And their whole thing was, here's what you use when you're not in the gym. Yeah. But then they started bringing them into gyms and then they started selling classes and people would have to pay $15 to use it for the day. And like, really? <laughs> Just crazy to me. So, yeah. But people. The branding was good apparently. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. TRX is a great tool. I use it every day, but it's just a tool. So, and, and, and the most important tool, which is something I think you're really good at. I got to watch you work in the, in the Twin Cities, uh, group that you've been, that I was invited to mm-hmm. just recently. Um, is, is the assessment tools. And mm-hmm. I, and I, it, it's the, it, to me, it's the thing that's getting missed most. Mm-hmm. Um, not just in, I, I mean, I, I, I think we, we have different ways of looking at this between physical therapy and training, but I feel like the, it's a, a sort of poor job is being done in both realms. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I think, um, uh, that's a huge thing for me is being able to do that. Uh, you know, I use the terminology screen when it comes to, um, I use the functional movement screen. So everyone who comes in, that's the first thing that we do um, outside of, you know, just a little health history and things like that.
Explain a little bit about what you're looking for on a screen. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I always sit down and talk with someone beforehand and just a little, little of their background just to make sure, you know, I know if they've got any looming issues or anything that I should know beforehand. The functional movement screen, it's seven screens, um, and a couple of rule out tests, but it's seven movement screens, um, that just sort of look at movement patterns and, uh, and sort of screen for are, is there any, are there any asymmetries? Are there, is there any dysfunction or, um, just limitations? And then, uh, based on what we see, there's some breakout tests to sort of further look at what they are, but it's a screen. It's just keeping out the, the worst of the worst. It's looking for those things that might cause problems that might limit performance. Um, those things that we're often going to see. You know, what, what are the big things that you that you're looking for most of the time? Uh, hips, shoulders, and thoracic spine. I yeah. mean, that's universal across the board. We sit all day long. We you know we don't push and pull like we used to. We don't squat down to the ground anymore. We sit in chairs. So uh, those are going to be the biggest things: hip mobility, uh, thoracic mobility, um, you know, thoracic extension, and then uh, you know shoulder stability and mobility. So so many people have shoulder problems, and because of that, they have wrist problems, and um, you know, and thoracic spine. That's with something that not the average person's going to know a ton about or not going to click with them. Obviously, hips and shoulders, pretty straightforward. But, uh, you know, thoracic spine, just that mid-back, that place where we hunch over, um, you know, when we sit at our computer all day long. And that yeah. place, that's where all the, the ribs attach to the spine and it's thick and it's dense. And if it doesn't get moved, it becomes pretty rigid. So yeah. we need to get it moving again. And it limits our ability to squat. It limits our ability to to move, reach overhead. It limits our shoulder movement. So getting that back and moving is is pretty important. So so yeah, the functional movement screen, uh, start off there. Look, are there any are there any just looming issues? From there, kind of break it out further. If if someone can't do uh the first screen, uh which is pretty universal, you see this in a lot of different organizations that use an overhead squat uh screen. Um uh, you know, you do that. And if, if they're not doing it well, it doesn't really tell you what's going on. It tells you that something's going on. So then you take a look at ankle mobility. Um, you know, is the knee moving correctly? Is it tracking correctly? Uh, do we have a, a restriction in the hip? Do we have, uh, you know, lumbar or, a, excuse me, thoracic mobility issue? Do we have shoulder mobility issue? You know, what's going on that's limiting that movement? So we just kind of start there and look at what things are causing you problems and what things do we need to work on? Um, it sort of sets the stage for where we're going, what we're working on. Uh, and then from there I do strength testing, um, endurance testing. So that way we have a baseline for me, everything's about test and retest. It's about, um, being able to track and, um, yeah. show improvement. So, yeah, it's so important. Yeah. I mean, if you're just, if you're not tracking, you're just guessing. Yeah. If you don't, if you can't show, I, I, to me, I, I'm amazed that gyms can get away with just selling, Hey, we've got these, you know, ellipticals with built in TV screens. The first thing you should ask is, you know, show me results. What, what have you done for your clients? Mm -hmm. If they can't do that, then why are you investing in that gym? Well, yeah. cause it's down the street and it costs $30 a month. Well, you're going to get $30 a month worth of worth out of right. that place. So. And, and so, so when you, when you, when you get someone who comes in, what, what are people coming to you for the, for the most part for, uh, yeah. So your population. I, I think, uh, I get asked this question all the time. It's really anything. Um, uh, but for the most part, most of my people are going to be, you know, 20 somethings all the way up to, I've had as high as 80 somethings. Um, 
most of them are tend to be more bought in on just long-term healthcare. And it, it kind of goes with how I run my business and, and how I communicate with people that, you know, if you're looking to just drop a few pounds and do a few sessions, then I'm maybe not your guy because, yeah. you know, I can do that for you. But, uh, realistically I'm looking for the person who wants to make wholesale change to their health, uh, fitness, move better, uh, and sustain it so that they can, you know, have longevity so that they can pick up their kids, grandkids, you know, mow the lawn, carry their groceries without getting injured, those sorts of things. So, um, you know, so it, it tends, it tends to be, you know, sometimes maybe late 20 somethings, 30, 40, 50, 60, and maybe have tried a few other things or didn't try a few things and just kind of realize I can't just jump back into whatever I used to do and without expecting to get hurt. So, um, but because of that, you know, I actually charge less and my people stay around a lot longer. And so I don't have the turnover. So a right. lot of, a lot of gyms, a lot of trainers are built on front end, you know, front loading the, the price because they don't expect people to stay around for very long. Right. Mine's just the other way around. I want people to buy into this idea of wholesale health and, uh, sustainable health change. How would you define your your kind of work uh, doing this kind of functional movement work compared to a physical therapist? Um, uh, I mean, a phys- physical therapist, uh, you know, just like physical therapists, chiropractors, occupational therapists are clinicians. I'm not a clinician. So I, I draw that line fairly clearly. Now, with that said, um, there's some overlap on sort of their upper end and my, I don't want to say lower end, but you know, sort of the, I can meet people when they get done with physical therapy or, uh, I have a lot of clients that work even currently with chiropractors, but they don't see the chiropractor as much anymore. And they see me twice a week, but they still go in, you know, maybe once a week or even once a month for active care. Um, but I can kind of pick up where they left off or where they're at and help with that transition to sort of make that seamless. Uh, you know, I think honestly, I think physical therapists get a, a bad rap because uh, everyone says, oh, they just follow protocols. And, you know, as soon as their insurance runs out, they kick them out the door. Well, I have some close friends that are physical therapists. They don't like that any more than the next person, right. but who they work for is a business. And usually yeah. it's, you know, for some health system or, you know, and that's just the way uh, the healthcare goes. And unfortunately it is right now. Yeah, it is now. So, and we've all had the conversations that we wish it wasn't that way and that we could have a little bit more of a integrative holistic approach to healthcare and, and whether you want to call it prevention or just, you know, keeping people healthy, um, and maintaining health and, and, uh, making people more resilient. So, but yeah, I don't do therapy, uh, with the functional movement screen. It's nice. Cause it's kind of like a teeter totter. Uh, when you screen someone, uh, it kind of tells you, uh, are they good to go? Can they train with me or do they have enough things going on that they should maybe be seeing a clinician for, for what they have going on. So it's nice for me cause I can kind of draw that line and I can be very concrete on, you know, maybe why they should go see a clinician or why they should not. So yeah. that's, that's good. I mean, I, I, I kind of got involved in the same end of things. I took a post rehab course, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I, I could have used a lot more that I gained, but it, it led me in a direction where I started studying more. And I was lucky enough to meet a physical therapist who just saw eye to eye with me on a lot of things. Uh-huh. <clears throat> she was in private practice though. So 
She wasn't necessarily stuck with insurance, although she did take insurance as well. Mm -hmm. But she would get people who were just really looking to sort of speed through their process a little bit more and make sure that they actually got sure. good eval and, you know, good attention, sure. which, you know, I think can get lost in the clinic setting where mm. you might not see the same person every time. And, you know, so it could be one of those things that you consider if you're, mm. if you are rehabbing that you might want to find someone who you, if you, you know, once you develop a good relationship with them that you can meet with on a regular basis, because it does give you that, that, you know, continuity mm. over a period of time for someone to continuously watch you do the same thing over and over again. Sure. They're going to pick up little things that, uh, you know, two different people or three different people looking at you might not pick up on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, not to sound like a high school or junior high, uh, you know, class here, but it's like Venn diagrams, you know, we should all overlap a little bit, mm -hmm. I think, uh, to be good. Uh, unfortunately, so often uh, the different disciplines are just kind of floating out in space and you kind of hop from one to the next where we should be overlapping. So that's where, yeah. especially with what I work with, with the functional movement, uh, screen or functional movement systems, they also have their clinical tool, which is the selective functional movement assessment. Uh, that makes for a nice transition between me and say a chiropractor or me and, a. um, a PT or whomever, um, some massage therapists use it that they can do the, uh, the clinical assessment. They can do whatever work they need to do, but then there's sort of a clear line of trajectory that once they're kind of clear on their stuff, they can do the functional movement screen. And if they're good to go, they can, um, it's kind of a nice warm handoff right into training and the language is the same. So it's a pretty nice system for, um, you know, being able to work between the clinical and non-clinical or the, you know, the trainer and the chiropractor or so, or the yeah. PT. So, um, you know, and uh, the, there needs to be some overlap just so that we understand what the other person is doing. And it's nice to just have the, the team sometimes to be, you know, to, or to have the handoff, you know, like I sure. had where, you know, this, this person has basically gotten through the biggest challenges, mm -hmm. but to keep them on track, they still need someone to probably meet with them because this what led to their injury or surgery or whatever mm -hmm. was something that was that was either a repetitive stressor or an imbalance of some sort that was going on over a period of time and they they you know they'll probably go back into that if they yeah. don't have someone sort of re helping them retrain that yeah and we've had the conversation before are we you know when we treat someone especially as a clinician when we treat someone and we take away the pain we take away the you know, the restriction, are we really just taking the brakes off the car and letting him go ram into the, the next wall? You know, like yeah. we need to, uh, and, and the same could be said for, you know, the, the fitness person who just keeps saying, you know, keep doing this and you'll get stronger. So it'll go away. Well, are you really just doing the repetitive stress thing? Right. Whereas good communication, good, uh, interdisciplinary approach can avoid that and, and, you know, correctly assess and determine what the problem is. You know, we were talking a little bit beforehand about, you know, treating the issue, um, relieving, open up that window of opportunity where maybe, um, you know, if you have someone that or if we have someone that has some restriction, thoracic spine restriction and, uh, you know, they get some soft tissue work, maybe get an adjustment. Uh, now they've freed up some some movement and then they can come train with me. Maybe it's one or two sessions. Maybe it's a, a month or two before they need to go back to the clinician and maybe get a little more work done. 
maybe next time it's three months and the next time it's six months. So that's kind of how it works well to go back and forth or to kind of work in a more integrative fashion. But yeah, just doing one or the other. And that's unfortunately the system is kind of set up. How did you you learn that yourself? Uh, How to use body work in relation to uh, helping with mobility or, you know, sort of retraining a dysfunctional area? You know, um, I guess just, trial and error. And, you know, I was in the same boat when I first started training, we're all trying to make a little money and we feel really scared about, you know, saying, Hey, you should go see someone else. Clients only have so much money, you know, people only have so much money to spend. And, um, and we're afraid that if we send them off to someone else, they're never going to come back. Cause you know, if I send them off to you, you're going to fix, fix. And I put quotations around that, fix them, uh, you know, and then they're never going to come back to me. Well, did you really fix them or did you take away the pain? And, and that's good, but you know, they should come back to the training so that pain doesn't come back. So, uh, I think it was a a leap of faith. It was also, uh, I think working in college, uh, with college athletics where, you know, if I had someone injured, I could walk them into the training room and, and stand there and watch someone, you know, work with them and sort of see, Hey, this works pretty nicely that if you, you know, do some protocols or do some work on this person and now they're back to where I can train with them right away again. I don't have to like, keep just, trying just to soft out. tissue manipulation or stretching uh, yeah, or, or, or just even, um, activation work or mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, just strengthening more localized things that especially early in my career, I just, you know, that wasn't my focus. I was focused on sport as opposed to understanding the body better. So it was, you know, they were maybe would see things that now I can see, but back then I didn't, but uh, yeah, I mean, they might be doing that or if it's dealing with inflammation or an injury, you know, that they can take care of. And that's kind of what led me down that road of, um, you know, that more integrated approach, you know, when I was at, um, I spent 10 days at the Olympic training center a number of years ago for this international coaching, uh, clinic, uh, course who were coaches from around the world, Olympic level coaches. And, um, it was pretty cool, but one of the things that they really pushed on this, and this was a, a certification course. It was a pretty big level thing, um, both through the USA track and field and then the IAAF, which is the international track and field or athletics as it's called everywhere else, but here, um, uh, it was a big thing through them. And th- what they really pushed through this whole thing was this, you know, interdisciplinary, you have to be able to work with other people. You can't do it all. So you should work well with your athletic trainers, with your nutritionist, with mm-hmm. your massage therapist, with your whatever, because you guys should all, you know, you're going to get better results if you guys can all communicate, if you can, everyone can work well together. And, um, yeah, so that kind of resonated with me coming out of that into the private, you know, sector and working with general population, it just, you know, makes more sense. And, you know, it makes us more professional if we're willing to say, I know someone who can help you with that. Yeah. So Uh, it really keeps us on our toes. I feel like we, we, we need, we need the, we need to check in with somebody else mm-hmm. to sort of verify what we see sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's also, you know, because we spend our entire day sort of going through these things, sometimes we, we, you know, we, we, we have the same challenges working with, working with clients. So it's mm-hmm. good to have someone to vet with a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think too, just in terms of being professional, uh, I used to be afraid to say, I don't know. And now I say it, if not once a day, at least once a week where, yeah. you know, clients ask me, oh, I've got this, this, you know, ache or pain or this weird little thing. I, I don't know, but I know yeah. someone who can, exactly. you know, probably better assess what that is. 
you know, if you want to go see them. But I truthfully, it's not it's not my scope of practice, which I think is a big thing. Too many people work outside of their scope of practice. Yeah. Now we should all be knowledgeable and kind of have uh, an ever growing scope of practice. Um, you know, we were talking before. You worked more in the bodywork world and then got into training. I'm kind of going the other direction where, you know, I came out of the sports performance world and mm -hmm. training. And now I'm actually uh, starting a program in massage therapy to do be able to do some manual therapy just as another thing I can offer to my clients. I don't want to do it full time, but yeah. just to be able to when I do have someone who comes in. Um, so so always growing that knowledge base. I think it's good. It just helps us do our job better. But then also yeah. being able to say. I'm at the end of, of my either scope of practice or my knowledge base and, you know, go see this other person who I think can help you out. So you've been doing this for a pretty long time. I just to geek out for a moment, <laughs> what what is your toolbox that, I mean, you're, you're adding this massage therapy to it now, mm -hmm. uh, some, you know, soft tissue manipulation type work. What, what is your other toolbox as far as, as far as, you know, functional movement, strength, endurance stuff? Cause the, I, I know a little bit about it, but I, yeah. I, 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 and I have my little toolbox, but I'm, uh, I'm curious because yours is a little bigger than mine as far as the functional and, 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 and performance enhancement stuff is. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, all the sports performance background is definitely helpful. Um, like a lot of the people who go into sports performance, you read all the old uh, Isserin and Zatskiorsky and, and all these Russian texts and the early sports science. And, you know, you think that's what you need to know. And then you start to read more modern stuff and, and, uh, you know, so a lot of the sports background, but then you realize a lot of that is a little bit dogmatic or at least a little bit, um, geared towards the athlete. Well, yeah. eventually how does that pertain to the general population, you know, client? So, um, you know, functional movement systems has been really big for me and better understanding movement, better understanding movement patterns, um, and sort of expanding on it. So, uh, I mean, functional, uh, the, the whole functional training is such a catchphrase, but, um, really the difference between sort of functional training and, uh, I guess to me, the, the opposite would be bodybuilding. Not that they're not both good, not that you're not going to get strong and, but you know, bodybuilding kind of trains muscles, nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Um, functional training trains movement patterns. So yeah. whereas a, a bodybuilder might do some bicep curls and some rows, um, you know, to isolate certain muscles and develop them. And yes, you will get stronger, but, um, whereas the functional trainer might do some, you know, inverted rows or, um, you know, just rows with a weight while they're standing on their own two feet to train movement patterns. Yeah. So they're going to squat versus get on a, uh, you know, bodybuilder might hop on a, on a leg extension machine or a leg curl right. machine. So yeah, um, uh, the way I, I try and tend to explain it a little bit is, if for for someone who doesn't have much experience is that you know we we live in a dynamic world mm. and that functional training is about how you move through a dynamic world whereas you know even even a lot of sports performance type movements are really geared towards whatever that whatever that movement uh, that you need for that uh, sport or for bodybuilding it, they tend to be more linear in in, in nature Sure. Or if you're, you know, as a, as a runner would really, you know, 
work more in their in their movement lines mm-hmm. because th- that's the way they're going to be using their body in that yeah but the problem with with just doing that one thing could be that you know when the runner steps sideways off a curb they might twist their ankle yeah. because of the way that their body is uh, sure. developed so well yeah and it's repetitive stress things right. as well so some people are built to run other people you know maybe can develop up to there but just aren't built to run right away so my brother Right now, I mean, he could just go run 15 miles without even having to think about it. Yeah. You know, he'd be a little sore the next day, but he's just built as a runner. He's mm-hmm. uh, uh, run a bunch of marathons and was a collegiate uh, runner, and he could take time off and still go run. Not the case for me. So, um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the toolbox for me, uh, you know, a lot of the conventional uh, lifts, if you will, or exercises, you know, squatting, um, I don't use a lot of bench pressing, but, you know, push-ups and, and variations on that. Um, I do use some, but, uh, you know, I tend to use things that incorporate more of the body together as opposed to laying flat on a bench. So, um, but, you know, I've got in my, my place, in my studio, I've got, you know, barbells and kettlebells and dumbbells and, uh, suspension trainers and ropes and, and pull-up bars. And, uh, you know, I've got a rower, I've got a, um, uh, a fan bike. I've got a bunch of different things, but usually when people come in, I, I kind of let them know these are all just tools. Don't be intimidated right. by them. When we need that tool, we'll use it. We'll use a lot of different things. Um, I like using sandbags, um, for training. They're soft. They're easy to manipulate around. Uh, they're a little less intimidating for some people than, uh, then, uh, you know, maybe a barbell, uh, for someone who's never been in a gym before barbells can be kind of scary. And of course we've all seen the YouTube videos, veins popping out of your head. So <laughs> sometimes I shy away from that. Not to mention it's not the right tool for some people, right. just, you know, it's never going to be so, um, so yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of tools that way that I can use. And your, what, what are your educational tools? Because yeah. I know you're very, you yeah. know, just your, your background is so, so broad. Yeah. So the, uh, functional movement systems I've done, they're level one and two. I've done some of their other continuing ed. I, I do a lot of, you know, certifications, but then also, um, you know, there's just a lot of other educational opportunities. I'm, going to courses or online training stuff just to continue to grow, read a lot. And, um, what are you, what are you, what are you really getting into right now? Uh, you know, a number of things. Uh, one of the big things over the last couple of years has been, uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization or DNS, um, Mm -hmm. which comes out of the Prague school in the Czech Republic. Um, real generically put it's, it's maintaining, uh, trunk stability, uh, intra-abdominal pressure and trunk stability while the joints around it move. So it's not, huge, but, uh, it also comes out of the world of, uh, developmental kinesiology and, and sort of looking at the way that we, we grow and learn movement patterns and develop as a, as an infant into, um, rolling and, and bridging patterns into, uh, you know, getting, climbing up onto, onto, uh, you know, the sofa to help stand up and then getting into standard padding, standing patterns and locomotion, crawling and, uh, things like that. So, and just how those things are in sort of ingrained in our DNA and how most kids go through that and, and watching how, uh, infants and toddlers move and, and, you know, when they're born, they don't even know that their arms and their legs belong to them. So they're very in tune to that trunk and then, uh, you know, use it to stabilize and brace. And then as time goes on, we start to lose that, especially when we sit in chairs and we don't crawl around. We don't, um, you know, do the, 
the big movements that we used to do and used yeah. to need to do. So, and I, I think that's a big part of functional movement in general is that I, I almost kind of think about it more as a, a neurological, you know, training or retraining mm -hmm. where we've, you know, either th because of repetitive, you know, patterns through uh, a day-to-day -day work activity, a sport, whatever it is, we've, we've adapted to something or sitting mm -hmm. in your desk all day long in front yeah. of a computer, we've adapted a certain way and we've closed off our nervous system on some level so that it's, it's learned to sort of stabilize or overly stabilize for that that activity or inactivity mm -hmm. and now we're trying to like free that back up back to that childlike state yeah so that it can it can adapt and do all these things in any any given situation yeah there's a lot of people talking about it right now the the neural side of things is is kind of one of the new frontiers in at least in the health and fitness world not that it's new obviously altogether but you know now a lot more talk about fascia as well and it's you know it's pretty fascinating um but it's also something that i think we're better better understanding and being in tune with even even in my realm which is um you know just training the average person is understanding sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system and, yeah. and you know if you've got someone who spends their entire life in sympathetic nervous system their chest breathing their you know they get up first thing in the morning and their heart's racing and they they spend all day long at a stressful job and then they have to race home and they go to the gym and they do a really intense workout and then they come home and their kids are screaming and they're just trying to get their kids down yeah. and get dinner on the table. And then they, you know, of course watch TV and go to bed and they never actually get into parasympathetic nervous system. So yeah. they're never recovering. And, you know, again, they're not moving well either. So they're losing those patterns. So retraining those is, is a big thing. So it's hard for people to understand, you know, the, the whole nervous system. We, we, I think our models for so often has been sort of muscles and movement and, yeah. you know, but people forget the nervous system controls all that muscles yeah. don't move on their own so uh we have to even even for the average sort of health and fitness consumer health and fitness person they need to understand that the brain controls it you know i always use the analogy of um you know the skier tumbling down the mountain can go completely you know limp and and get up and walk away uh, and sort of on the other end of the spectrum, the, the 80 year old grandma who lifts the car off of, you know, her husband who's being crushed, the brain can do some pretty amazing things with the muscles that yeah. we have. Um, better understanding that is, is a, is a huge thing. So, yeah. and, and I, I learned that, I mean, it was, it was certainly my fascination early on in getting involved in body work and why I went, uh, to craniosacral therapy was because of the system response. Mm -hmm. And it was about, you know, you could have two people with, you could have someone with like a really sort of tight back, you know, different kinds of things going on, no pain response whatsoever. You could have a, another person seemingly in, with better tissue uh, health and all these mm -hmm. things and have just chronic back pain. And we start realizing is that, that that sympathetic response, that fight or flight response that's been worked in over time. And a lot of what they're starting to find out scientifically now is that it usually relates back to their earliest experiences that, you know, kids who were in a stressful environment had early trauma that stuff plays <clears throat> for a long time. And it's, it's one of the things that I started seeing with people that I was working with and, and, you know, with people would often come in to get massages once their back went out. That was mm -hmm. sort of the, the most common thing. And I just found it as like the most, this craniosacral work as, as this tool, this very low force osteopathic work to actually get the system to calm. And then sometimes even within the same session, I could actually get in and do more soft tissue work. And sometimes mm -hmm. I wouldn't touch it, you yeah. know, on a, on a day like that. And it sounds like what you're, you know, kind of hinting at, and I, I know this from my work as well, but that with, even with fitness or with, with, you know, uh, physical conditioning work, 
people come to you every day in a slightly different place. And that some, some days the workout is not meant to be very high intensity because they've, they haven't slept well. They haven't been eating well. They're, they're, you know, they've had sick children or sick parents or whatever. And they're, and they're, they're not in that place. They still need to move though. And it's probably the best thing to do to actually mm-hmm. kind of get them to feel better in their body. It's almost another, I mean, I, I think about that, the kind of work that I do in functional movement work is almost kind of a type of therapy of sorts, you know, where they're actually rebalancing their nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we see it all the time in both what we do that people come in, they'll have a, an emotional response to the physical things that, you know, we either do to them or expect them to do. And you can see it, you can see it in, you know, uh, just something will pop up on their face and, you know, it elicits a response, uh, that, you know, you kind of need to be able to deal with when it, when it comes up. So there ends up becoming obviously a, a mental health component of what we do, but also just, uh, I think that's a, a good, thing that we need to understand as uh, people who offer a service is that sometimes I mean, people are bringing their whole life into what you're doing. So you're not just, you know, people don't live in a, in a vacuum. So, um, you know, even just the person who comes in and you can see it when they walk in the door, they're, they're slumped over. They probably haven't eaten well that day. And the last thing they need is more stress in their life. I mean, people forget that exercise is stress. You're never, Exercise doesn't make you healthy. It's the response to exercise that makes you healthy. Exercise is stress that then forces your body to super compensate or improve. Um, But if you add stress to more stress, we know what happens. Your body just keeps breaking down. So, uh, you know, so a lot of times I have clients come in and like you said, their kids didn't sleep well. They didn't eat lunch till three o'clock in the afternoon or they, you know, they come in in the morning and they didn't even eat breakfast. And, uh, sometimes it's just here, eat this granola bar. And then we're going to do a little bit more of an aerobic restorative workout today. It's going to be 30 minutes in and out, get you feeling back to, you know, back to sort of normal, or at least get you into that parasympathetic, um, place where you can actually recover and let your body do what it's supposed to do, which is, you know, rest and recover, rest and digest. Uh, and then we can get at it again tomorrow. But me adding, you know, people feel really, especially when it comes to exercise, they feel like I need to finish that workout. If I didn't do that, you know, then I'm, I'm not working hard enough. Well, again, if you're already beaten down and you're, you're stressed, why would I add more stress to that? That's not helping you. Yeah. That's just going to make you worse. So let's, you know, we got to get out of that mindset a little bit and just do what's best for you on that day. Yeah. So. Do, do you have a favorite population you like to work with right now? Um, I, I'm guessing you're not seeing the, the high level athletes. That no, you, once were, so. uh, you know, I, I enjoy performance, but, um, uh, especially as a, as a, coach it's it's very um short term you know people don't stay at a high level for uh super long um and even if you go that route you know let's say you're coaching at a college or coaching at a you know with a professional organization or something like that you know new new head coach comes in and they clear house and i mean it's just very transient and then you either you're working your way up or you know it's just it's all over the place where so for me i like the the consistency of just having clients that live close by, they're investing in their health and fitness. So uh, I think that's a big thing for me. Now, whether they be a certain age, uh, 
generally tends to be 30 something and up that, you know, yeah. one, they're to a place in their life where they have the financial means to invest and, and start, you know, spending the money on something other than just their school loans or happy hour, three nights a week, you know, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's those people who just have gotten to the point where they say, something's got to give and I want to either take care of myself or I need to take care of myself yeah. because I can't do what I used to. So, and you know, people come from different, different places, but it's those people that are truly invested are the ones that find themselves, you know, coming through my door. I, I worked at a, a facility out in Portland and it was kind of the same thing. Uh, a lot of people that had come there had come from either referrals from clinicians or uh, had just been to a bunch of different places and, Maybe they had gotten um, a little more fit or even looked fit, but yet kept getting injured. And right. they just kind of thought, man, this system that I'm trying to do doesn't work for me. So maybe I need to go someplace uh, that is going to look at what I need. And so a lot of people that ended up in our door there were kind of the same thing. And that's kind of how I run my business here is, yeah. um, you know, people tend to make their way to me when they're ready to be done jumping from thing to thing. Yeah. I, I, and I find people, people enter into this point of, and maybe we can kind of follow this up with this idea that I have that I would like to explore a little bit more, which is uh, the, the definition of your definition of health, because I think everyone enters into the, this, this point where they decide to start investing more in their, in their own well-being or in the, in the way that they feel in their body or whatever, whatever it is at a different point. Some people need their bodies to just be screaming at them with pain before they make a change. And some people just have a, have a, a sense that they're, they're not doing as well as they could. Maybe they're not sleeping well, or maybe they're, um, they, they find they're just fatigued too often, or they just have discomfort in different in sitting or walking or running or whatever it is. And that we, we all kind of started at one point. I think I, I, I was lucky in some respects that my back pain started in my 20s because I was still young enough to make a lot of adaptive changes. Sure. <laughs> my body was, it was a little easier to, to deal with. Um, but I, I find a lot of people don't start to make those changes until they're, you mm -hmm. know, late 30s, 40s, sometimes 50s. Um, so, but, but, you know, sort of getting into this idea of, from, from your perspective and having worked in this, in a similar field, how, how do you define health either for yourself or to your clients? And, and maybe a second part of this question is, do you have any, any daily rituals or weekly rituals, monthly rituals as it relates to this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, to me, health in general, obviously just being alive, <laughs> not to be, uh, overly cut and dry about <laughs> like it, but just that. being alive. But, uh, you know, what does that mean for people? It's, it's, uh, and obviously in my scope, it's being able to move free of injury. It's being able to do the things you want to do, whether it just be ADLs or uh, the things you enjoy, if that's running, cross-country skiing, playing with your kids. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, there's so many other components to it. And I think all of us know this. It's uh, mental health and having purpose and uh, having community. Uh, I'm a big fan of yeah. the, the blue zones yeah. um, sort of concept, uh, which we're lucky Dan Buechner's right here in this neighborhood and yeah. uh, has some great insight into these uh, places around the world that have this longevity. They're free of some of the lifestyle diseases that we have here, but yet 
everyone every one of them is very different in terms of geography and uh, everything from nutrition to the things they do but there's some commonalities that run through there so those things are big for me just having purposeful movement as opposed to the you know rituals that we kind of have in our stereotypical although real sort of western lifestyle of driving in our car to work sitting all day coming back i mean that's not not really purposeful movement that's just going through life and then you know popping on the tv before you fall asleep uh but you know i think having hobbies having community having um you know whether you want to say faith or spirituality or some bigger um even if it's just the community that you're involved with or or you know the the family your immediate something that you know is sort of bigger than you that you're invested in that's not just yourself so i mean a lot of a lot of different things that play into health um uh health as a concept you know good mental health uh good um you know obviously physical health and i think healthy is happy so we need to be happy and that means a lot of different things for a lot of different people so um and I think that one of the things I appreciate about what you've been doing so far in this community is uh, getting together a group of people that I got to be invited to recently. And this this kind of networking and bringing us bringing us together, I think we we all you know the the group of people that I met, everybody was clearly really into this this work they're doing with people. It didn't matter what their setting was with work. You could just tell they had a passion for that kind of work, and so, you know, I, I think that that's one of the things that I, I'm I'm also big into is is being able to connect with people within our fields, and I think the the truly integrative work that I think we we could continue to do uh, with people is part of what I want to do this podcast for because I think we we give it a lot of lip service. And we're not doing a very good job at it yet. Yeah, yeah, through, for sure. Through, through communication and coordination, and just understanding like how how much we actually understand about working with people in these realms. Yeah, I think um, it, it's sort of like the um, field of dreams. You know, if if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, step one is is getting this group of like minded professionals from different walks of life, different locations talking getting people sharing experiences um starting to see the overlap starting to see how we can integrate better uh and then from there trying to create a an environment whether it be one facility or a network of you know individual practitioners that uh you know do share and collaborate and and sort of um work well together that can create a a community surrounded more on um you know, just overall health. And, uh, I don't like to use the term preventative health. I don't, or preventative care. Uh, what are you trying to prevent? You're just trying to promote <laughs> health. So, yeah. uh, I guess you're preventing sickness, but we should instead just be promoting that's, health. That's so, just sort of my take too, is, is what, you know, what would it, what would a health promotion system actually look like yeah. rather than just, you know, just putting out fires? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what so often we do or the way that you know, the money tells us we need to be, but, um, you know, uh, I talk a lot with colleagues about having a, uh, interdisciplinary setting where everyone works in the same facility and, you know, I can have someone who comes in one day to do a training session, but, 
they come in and something's hurting or they're just really fatigued that day or uh, whatever the case may be. And I can say, hey, why don't you go spend, you know, five minutes or the whole session with, you know, this other person or I can pull someone in for even two minutes to say, here's what I'm seeing and I can't figure this out. You know, what do you think? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and vice versa to have the clinician say, here, here's where we've, here's all the things we've done to get to this point. Uh, how do we progress them from here? You know, yeah. uh, because we do have, uh, again, the scope of practice and there, there's a place where a physical therapist no longer is a physical therapist that they're, you know, they start just getting into what just would be normal fitness training and that's not really where they're best utilized so yeah. uh for as much as some of them would like to keep working with that person a little longer you know there needs to be that transition unless they you know want to change their career yeah. <laughs> with that person but you know and people don't need to spend the same amount of money on a on a, a physical therapist that they do or i should say on a you know on a trainer that they do on a physical therapist i, yeah. I didn't go to school for that long to become you know, I can't fix some of those things or a lot of those things that a physical therapist. So we have a scope of practice, but being able to be in the same facility where we're actually trying to promote health and keep people healthy. Yeah. Uh, I think chiropractors are good uh, or a lot of the chiropractors, at least that I work with, are good at um, this, you know, integrative approach and and sort of promoting health and, and um uh, self-care, you know, is a big thing for them of, you know, you managing your own health and you taking care of yourself through, um, you know, daily, uh, soft tissue work or exercises and just keeping yourself healthy for a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, and once we get to that point where we don't even need to be going in to see the clinician that, you know, we just keep sort of expanding on our health and, and, um, making ourselves more resilient. So, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Edu education is really the key. Uh, and what part of what I'm hoping that people can get from hearing people like you talking is the, is the resource of what the day-to-day -day looks like. Mm -hmm. Did you have any basic things, anything, any takeaways that, that you would, you would give to just about anyone that you're working with in terms of, in terms of health promotion, things they can do on their own? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, just moving, for sure. Moving more. I mean, from my end of things, yeah, uh, yeah. uh, eating better. I I'm a big harm reduction guy. I worked in mental health. I worked in the substance abuse and substance use education mm. world for uh, a long time as well. Uh, kind of while I was coaching as well as kind of uh, doing two roles, but, um, you know, and, and one of the things that was big, there was harm reduction. You know, you might, you might not get someone, you know, if you're talking substance abuse, you might not get someone to completely stop using, but if you yeah. can get them to using three days a week, as opposed to five days a week, that's harm reduction. Yeah. That's improvement. Yeah. Now it's not, you know, all or nothing, but all or nothing's usually not going to work with these people. Yeah. Uh, all or nothing's gonna, not going to work with most people. Unfortunately, that's the, the model that so many people see with dieting, you know, yeah. and, uh, or not even so much dieting as, you know, this idea of fat loss, you know, oh man, I ate good for five days, but then I had one day when, you know, I ate terribly and, you know, I ruined it all. Well, no, you ate healthy for five days yeah, exactly. and you had, so 
five out of six days, you ate really healthy. And I can see the same thing about movement because I think we, we, we get into thinking, especially past a certain age. I mean, I'm in my, I'm entering my late forties. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I I know the difference in my body. I was, I was playing basketball, you know, two days a week, uh, 10 years ago. I'm, I'm not doing that anymore, but I, I still think that, you know, and I think what people start to feel is if they can't do that thing, that is sort of more mm-hmm. extreme thing. And I think a lot of people use it as a, as a form of stress management to like mm. just push really hard until they just yeah. c- collapse and can't <laughs> get, yeah. get up and move. But I, I think just getting into the habit of, of, you know, each, each thing that they're doing during their day, is there a way to do this and be moving more? You know, could I walk to some place or yeah. could I, you know, put in an extra 15 minutes here after lunch and just like go for a stroll. I mean, there can be very simple things sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, fitness is both, you know, health, uh, health and fitness isn't that complicated. And in fact, it's pretty easy, but if you've sort of fallen out of touch with it or you lost it, maybe you need a little help getting back into it. Um, but, you know, day to day, be getting up and down off the ground, you know, climbing stairs, uh, picking up something that has some weight to it. Uh, it's going to be big and doing it, obviously, with mechanics that are that are sound so that you're not injuring yourself. But things like that, it's that that purposeful movement stuff, just getting up and moving around uh, to try and, you know, keep the the rust off. And um, so, I mean, I, I think for me at the very basic level, being able to. Being able to get up off the ground, uh, is huge because it's for a lot of people, it's the difference between, you know, being in a nursing home and being in their own, you know, their own home. So yeah. if you can't get up off the ground, you know, it's, it's, things are not looking so good for you. So my, yeah. especially my much older clients, um, I want them getting down on the ground every day and getting back up. I want them to learn how to stabilize through the trunk and be able to, um, you know, effectively, uh, get up off the ground and, and pick things up without hurting themselves. So, uh, but you know, like you said, it's, it's moving more, whether it be, you know, people always say parking further away from work. And, um, but you know, if you got to run to the grocery store real quick, how far is it really away from you? Yeah. Could, could you yeah. walk? Could you walk twice a week and get, you know, a week's worth of groceries? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're pretty lucky where we we're at here. We got everything within walking or a pretty short bike ride distance. So it's pretty nice. Not everyone has that, but, uh, you know, just find ways, play with your kids more often. And it's amazing what that'll do. Yeah. Walking is, is great. It's restorative. It's amazing, but get outside and do it, go do it on, you know, surfaces that aren't perfectly flat. Don't, you know, get on the treadmill. Now we live in Minnesota. Sometimes of the year, there are parts of the year that are by all means get on a treadmill. Yeah. Um, but you know, especially if you, you know, at a risk for falling on the ice, but, uh, um, you know, if you can get outside, get outside, go for a walk. But, you know, you always hear people say, my doctor said, I just need to walk for, you know, 30 minutes a day and that's enough. Well, that's good. But is that enough? Is that going to prevent you from, you know, hurting yourself when you pick up your laundry basket or your, you know, your grandkid, yeah. Yeah. uh, we need to be able to to move well and, and lift things. And so that's kind of a lot of what I focus on, but, you know, get started by, I always sort of say, if, if you're not sure what to do for, you know, your exercise, think about it while you're going for a walk, <laughs> just, exactly. just get up and start walking. And then you can start thinking about what you want to do. Walk to the local gym, community center, uh, whatever the case may be, walk to the local grocery store. They always have those, those community boards up that have, you know, 8,000 different people advertising their services and pick what works for you. And if it doesn't work, find something different, but walk there, you know, uh, go mow the lawn, 
So, so yeah, I I can't can't agree more. It's yeah. it's sometimes the most simple things, and and I I think just like you were saying in terms of like reducing harm, moving and continuing to to keep you know that that movement in your body and that flow. Uh, mobility wise is, is helping you create, you know, that same situation. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Is, is there anything, yeah, I know you have a, a, a website and blog and anywhere people can find you or get some more resources. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, the easiest route is, uh, my website. It's, uh, fundamental strength MN as in Minnesota. So fundamental strength MN.com. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. Uh, I have both my, personal uh coaching site and then i have a, a site uh for fundamental strength i think there's a a gym out in colorado that's also fundamental strength so you know just make sure it's the one in minnesota right. i'm sure they're a great gym too but uh <laughs> probably not going to help you if you're if you're here so um yeah but uh you know if you don't find me find someone else yeah. uh just get out and get moving and you know find someone good in the area so great i appreciate you being on here yeah it's, it's been great been a great this conversation awesome. so All right. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks. Todd Wycheck, folks. Great to spend some time with him. Some very insightful thoughts on physical movement. We often take our body's ability to get us through our daily activities for granted until we have pain or limitation. A simple reminder I got from this conversation is just to move more regularly. We've become a culture very tied to our machines, computers, and devices, My suggestion is to set time aside to be free from them. Get out of your car. Get rid of your backpacks or briefcases. Get away from your computers and experience your body by itself, moving with purpose. If you have movement limitations because of age or physical condition, there are still ways to improve your body's overall function. As Todd mentions, that might be simply taking short walks, going up and down stairs, moving from sitting to standing, or working on being able to get up off the ground to an upright position. If you have a goal like this, seek the help of a movement specialist in your area. If you're unsure of what kind of professional you should be working with, hit me up on email. I'll help you out. I have a growing list of resources that I'm building across the country. My email, if you need it, is jeremy at highwaytohealthpodcast.com. Also, as always, I look forward to hearing your thoughts about this conversation and the podcast. Until next time, be good to yourselves, take care of each other, be kind to your planet, be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.